Welcome to episode number 81 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work and the career of writer director J.J. Abrams. I'm your host. My name is Marcelo Nostroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing Fringe Season 1, Episodes 6 and 7. First up in that batch is the episode entitled The Cure. So, Matt, I have a single question for you. Do you want a cup of soup? I do want a cup. I do want a cup of soup, but hopefully not the soup that this lady's head exploded into, because the cure does start with an absolutely awesome, disgusting diner scene where a woman stumbles in who appears to be disturbed in some way. We're not sure what. And she sits down and the nice guy at the diner is like, oh, I'll get you some soup. And I love that we see this calm moment. And when things start to go bad, I don't think I imagined how bad it was going to go as this episode was starting. I thought like, all right, obviously we've seen a lot of people who can affect negative things to those around them. So I thought maybe this lady is about to kill everyone in the diner. And when that starts happening, I'm like, okay, I knew that that was what was going to happen. And it starts to get a little grisly, but I didn't realize that she herself would end up blowing her top because whatever was done to this woman, it caused her brain to boil. And I thought that this opening and especially the money shot of this episode is the glass door of the cafe and the blood splattering on it and running down. I absolutely loved all of that. So this was one of the coolest cold opens at Holly's diner that I think Fringe had done to date and upped the gore factor. And there is a lot of gross stuff that, you know, when they bring the headless body to the lab later, I don't, I'm not down for that. And we'll get into the things that I hate when we get to the next episode about medical stuff. But that gore effect was awesome. And then having the team show up and have to put on their hazmat suits And the first thing Walter does is stick a meat thermometer into a dude's head. I was like, Walter Bishop, you sick bastard. What are you thinking of this episode, Marcel? First of all, this episode starts off with a truck, you know, dropping off this woman in the middle of the street and then taking off. But then it took me a couple of seconds to realize what episode we're watching. But as soon as I realized what episode this was, I was like, oh, shit, things about to go down. I loved the way that this open opening sequence play really played with expectations because this woman walked into this diner and the waiter who works at the diner obviously sees that there's something wrong with the woman and he thinks, oh, maybe she's a runaway, maybe she's been abused, to where he calls a police officer and this police officer starts asking this woman questions and all of her responses really track with what a person who's been through uh, a prolonged uh, ordeal would say. Like, they made me do stuff. They filled me up with chemicals. All that tracks someone who has been in a long period of isolation or, or, or arrest. But where it really starts to 
go crazy is when the police detective decides to cuff her. And a minute after that, the whole diner starts to go crazy as people's heads start to explode. And it was really interesting to me that as this is happening, the girl is screaming and she backs up against the door. And you're thinking, I'm, you're thinking she's not going to blow up. I'm sitting there going, she ain't going to blow. She ain't going to blow because if she blows, this experiment is a failure. And, and I'm like, <gasps> she's going to blow up. And when she blows up, you're right. That image is one of the iconic images of this episode. Just to see her screaming her head off for a second and then poof, like a balloon. Just the blood spotted all, all over the glass. So I loved this opening scene because we thought we were seeing one thing. But once we figured out what the hell it was, we're like, oh, shit. I, I, I was thoroughly enraptured by the, just the opening scene of this episode. Yeah, I thought it was a great way to start. And then we start to dig into the mystery of who was this woman and why did this happen to her? And of course, it's a lot of they find out that she had a, a condition and was getting treated by a doctor and so they talk to the doctor and he says he doesn't know how this could have happened, which, of course, <laughs> any watcher of TV, as soon as they visit this Dr. Patel at the Patel Health Center, he's like, oh, that's so sad. I have no idea how they could how this could have happened. I was like, mm, this guy knows he's not saying. And even then there's a scene. It might have come before where they interview the the friend's husband. And uh, he's like, oh, no, I don't know this woman. This is something else. And I'm like, BS, like, we can tell you're lying. We've watched too many of these shows to know that these people are are on the level or not. But then we find out that there was a serious medical condition that linked all of these people. And I like this idea of the fringe things that we know other people, other than Massive Dynamic, are trying to do stuff. And so this one started as something well-intentioned. They were actually trying to maybe help these people with this condition. But then along the way, a bunch of twists and turns happened that bad stuff started to happen and they start harnessing the power of these. As Walter says, basically it turns these people into a microwave if you um, do something to them. So like then the nefarious purposes sneak in and the, the good stuff starts to get pushed to the side. But I do like the idea that there are other people who are experimenting with weird things for a good cause. Now we find out as this goes, obviously, you know, Dr. Patel <laughs> eats a bullet. And then we find out that there's somebody else higher up who might actually be more evil and, and doing more weird stuff. Uh, Esther Brooke. So I do like as we're finding all this stuff and it is very harrowing when Olivia goes to confront Patel after she realizes that they all have a connection and the scene where he gives her the name, but he kills himself is pretty brutal. And, uh, Anatorv's reaction was really, really good in that moment and definitely a standout. Just the science fiction explanation that they give for what these, what this group of people is trying to do to, to cure this disease made me really think if somebody really tried to do this in real life, maybe it could work for a cure for cancer because they wanted to put these radioactive 
you know, radio, radioactive isotopes in the form of like, like time release pills in your bloodstream that would, that would explode at a certain point to cure whatever disease you happen to be going through. And I'm like, I wonder if this, I wonder if real science could really do something similar to this. So that made me think like, could this really, really work? So I, I really think that they came up with a science fiction uh, uh, MacGuffin that was semi-plausible for this episode. Yeah, they definitely did, because that is something... Time-released medicine is certainly something that people have been working with for a long time. So the fact that they're taking this to the next level and realizing, yeah, if if they did that and they all accidentally unloaded at the same time, then it causes mass chaos. The nefarious doctor of this episode, the big baddie for this episode really didn't give a shit about anything because you have, you have people like this in corporate culture that they really think they're above the law and they have this God complex to, so to see him fall from grace once Olivia figured out who the fuck he was, and where he was to see her manhandle this guy was really, really satisfying. Although the 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 emotional thrust of this episode that I liked very, very much is that all throughout the episode, Olivia seems to have a problem. Newsflash, Olivia Dunham has a problem in fringe. Nothing new. She's gonna have a lot of problems. But this problem is unique to Olivia because in this episode we find out that when she was a little girl, her mother didn't have the best choice in men. Unique to Olivia, although this sounds alarmingly similar to Kate Austin's backstory. Her mother doesn't have, you know, the best choice in men, a la Kate Austin. And she, uh, w- uh, one night when her stepfather gets violent with her mother, gets violent with her mother, she takes it upon herself, grabs a gun from the kitchen, and shoots her fa- her you know her her father her stepfather a couple times in the chest and she says to peter for the life of me i should have just finished him off because i sh- i should have killed him and the reason why she is so terrified is because today in this episode it's her birthday and this son of a bitch has some way to figure out where she is at at any given time to where every uh, every year on her birthday, he sends her a card just to let her know that he's still out there in the world. And I thought the way that she handled it was a little bit perturbed. I, I understand why she was so stressed out, but the fact that she didn't really open up to anyone until Peter really pressed her on the issue really shows you what kind of person Olivia Dunham is. She had to bury it, but I do like that when we first find out that it's her birthday, it's because Charlie goes with her when they're going to go talk to that husband of the missing woman. And he knows, he said, like, today of all days. And he's like, so I can see you still don't like to celebrate your birthday or whatever. So that shows us Charlie and Olivia have a much better relationship than we have really seen to this point, because he's the only one who knows that today is her birthday. So that strengthens our interest in Charlie as a character because just that small thing, we know, okay, he's important enough in the grand scheme of things that he knows about 
the main character here. Whereas Charlie has basically been a very peripheral character so far, but that small moment let us know in terms of the world, he actually knows a lot. I want to push the episode just a little bit and I want to get to the part that you don't want to talk about. So what did you think when Walter decided to take the body of the young woman who went kablooey to the lab and he started playing with it and you, there, there you see the the corpse with the with the with the no head so that part i i must admit that that you know as gross as fringe can get that was more comical almost seeing that headless body sitting there and i'm sure as they were filming this you know that's where <laughs> kurtzman and orsi were like headless horseman hmm connect the dots thing to that got their mind running when they saw this headless body sitting on a table. So I do like that. Yeah. Walter starts to put together what was actually happening here. And the other thing that we have established in this episode, which is classic TV 101, is the ticking clock because there's another woman very similar who has disappeared. And we know that she had the same disease. It's likely that she is now also activated as this, microwave and it's only a matter of time before she melts down and kills a bunch of people and blows her own head up. So as there, as Walter's explaining the science of this, we still have this on the back burner where the life of Claire, this woman hangs in the balance. And we do see that, uh, I, I mentioned it last week, but I'm just going to shout it out and then never mention it again because, um, I am starting to realize that it must just be a New York casting thing. Every every single bit player in this episode and the next episode has also been featured on Billions, which also shoots in New York. So like Dr. Patel, Esther Brooke, the woman who's doing the experiments, and then the next episode, like eight people, they're all on Billions. So Billions also shoots in New York. So it's either the same casting people or just like, this is everybody who works in New York shows up on all of these shows. Because the whole time I'm like, I know this guy. I know this guy. And like, like I said last week, even the observer has been on billions and the observer was in this episode. Um, as, uh, Olivia goes and talks to Esterbrook at a party to try and find out, you know, he's the, the corporate douche that Patel gives up. And so the observer is walks by while she's talking to him. And from there, she starts to realize that this guy is the, evil suit man who like, he's not going to give her the information exactly that she needs and that his company is massive dynamics, main competitor, the people that he works for. So they realize that maybe they can get some sort of information from massive dynamic saying like, Hey, can you help us if we, we got to like take your enemy off the board. So I do like this idea that now we know that not only is massive dynamic huge and doing a bunch of weird stuff, but there is this company was called Intrepus. And so there are also like another massive dynamic that we haven't known about who now we know they are also dealing in this weird stuff. Now we don't know if they know as much as massive dynamic does, but that leads us to a scene where as they talk this out, Peter realizes that he might be able to actually go and talk to Nina Sharp because on the record, massive dynamic 
can't do anything because it could be seen as a a red spot in their ledger if they got caught by insider trading and all this kind of stuff. And so I like that when he goes to visit Nina to try and get this information, there's a weird energy there. And she's like, you know, me and your father were real close. And you were like, how, how close were they? And so it starts to bring up a bunch of things that we haven't really thought about in terms of the Peter Walter massive dynamic as a whole, and especially in relation to Nina Sharp and knowing that she basically says like, yeah, I can help you, but quid pro quo. So Peter makes a deal with the devil that we know at some point is going to come back and we will find out the cost of actually doing this. And his information that he gets does lead to them saving Claire and rushing in. And I do have to point out that the the doctor who was experimenting on Claire, she rolls on like a bunch of the operation and gives up a ton of people. And they said that her name, the name of the doctor experimenting on her was Elizabeth Sarnoff, which is the name of a writer of Lost and Alcatraz who does bad robot stuff. And they just named a character after her in this episode. That was extremely cool because I caught that too. I was like, holy shit, it's Liz. <laughs> See, guys, this is what happened when you spend most of your life watching bad robot stuff and you actually pay attention well enough. <laughs> um, I really liked that Olivia wasn't willing to go to the mattresses in this episode and she wasn't willing to ask Nina Sharp for assistance because she knew that it was going to cost her something. But I really liked that Peter decided to take one for the team and really help Olivia out. But the thing that made me really happy is when Peter goes to meet Nina, she's she's at a stable. She presumably just finished riding one of her horses. And when when Nina says, oh, uh, when you were a little boy, I took you here too. I, I babysat you when you were a little boy. And Peter has this very strange look on her on his face. Like he doesn't believe her. He doesn't remember that. That is very important for something that will happen down the road. But I was I was really I I almost got up from my chair and I said I was really happy when Nina mentioned that her and Walter had a past. I also referenced that in an earlier episode that we talked about. So I'm really happy that those Seeds are being somewhat planted. The last thing that I really liked about this episode is when, in the very, very last scene, when Olivia goes home, she has one more final uh, piece of mail. Because throughout the episode, she's checking out her mail comes from the, that comes to the office, her house. She's checking out her mail to see if she has that disgusting letter from her stepfather. And she goes home. She has one more piece of mail left. And and it's that it's that fucking stepfather of hers. You know, the, the card doesn't say anything. It's just a blank happy birthday card. But she knows that that birthday card is from that son of a bitch. So I really liked how the episode ended um, because of because of the emotional weight that Olivia was carrying in this episode. And that's why I liked that's why I like most of it. I liked the this the science fiction conceit of this episode a lot, but I liked Olivia's story way more 
than I thought I would. Yeah, the best parts of this episode for me, hands down, are the grisly opening. That's so much fun. And then that scene where Olivia tells us everything when she's talking to Peter. And just Anna is so good in that moment. But also Josh Jackson plays it really well when he clues in and he's like, today is your birthday. And just when he's realizing all of that stuff, it's so well played that it's just an acting showcase for Anna and Josh gets to really be sympathetic and make us like Peter and endears the two of them together. And then, as you said, the final scene when, you know, there's a moment where she's kind of relieved that she hasn't gotten the card yet and it feels like she's not going to, but then she does see that envelope and the creepiest part is it's got no postage or a return address, which means it was physically dropped off by the person because it didn't actually go through the mail. And it just says thinking of you, which is creepy as shit. Um, so that's really interesting episode. But those two things, the fun beginning and then the heart right in that last third are definitely the, the standouts. And I can't believe we've gone, I don't know, four fringe podcasts without mentioning this. Um, but every commercial break, they do cut to a, a image that is a cipher in every episode. Um, and so this episode, the cipher spelled out cells, C-E-L-L-S. Um, so, you know, in relation to that experimental drug that messed with the cells of the disease of the Bellini patients or whatever it was called, even just in the form of the show, there's a mystery box. So like, yeah, every time we go to commercial, we're going to just give you a little thing. If you want to start cracking codes, then Fringe can be your entry. We move on to the final episode that we're going to talk about this week, entitled, In Which We Meet Mr. Jones. Where does the man live? I wish I knew. This episode, which is written by JJ and Jeff Pinkner, um, really exciting it's directed by Brad Anderson, who did the awesome Christian Bale movie, The Machinist. And uh, this brings back, this episode is almost like a fringe greatest hits while still giving us like a lot of new stuff because we have the talking to the dead, which we know from other episodes is possible. We have rushing to save someone who ends up being the bad guy, which we had in the first episode. So there are a lot of like small moments along the way of this that do feel like the show really gelling. And they're like, you know what we do really good. We do really good double crosses and people talking from the dead. So let's do this all in one episode, but in a way that feels cool and new and adds a dash of Hannibal Lecter by introducing Jared Harris. Um, who's, who's, you know, pre him being, he's much more famous now than he was when he was on this episode because of movies like Sherlock Holmes two and his run on Mad Men and Chernobyl and things like that. But, um, I just like that this gives us, it's like the fringiest fringe episode while introducing some new mythology that leaves a lot of questions on the board by the time it's over in true JJ fashion. And as we have mentioned this, the things I don't like about medical stuff, I love gore. If it's over the top horror gore, love it. If it's uh, uh, somebody is on the table and we're opening up their heart, I hate it. 
Now, if you throw in Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors or the plants from the tubes in Super Mario Brothers is attached to this heart, I get even more confused on how I feel. Because part of me is like, this is so radically weird that I kind of love it, but I can still see the beating heart under that parasite that I'm like, eee. Uh, so what are you thinking as we find out that this agent, agent Loeb has an incident and he collapses in Broyles office. And when they open him up, he's got this disgusting parasite attached to his heart. After this episode, I said to myself, I'm going to cook my chicken really, really well the next time I eat it. Cause, <laughs> cause I don't, because I don't want any type of parasite entering my body. But the thing that I loved about this episode, you mentioned it. In your opening comments, this episode really, really feels like the fringiest episode that we've ever had because it has all the hallmarks, as you mentioned. It has talking to the dead. It has a weird, fringy, you know, you know, fringillion, if that's a word, we're going to start using it here, <laughs> fringillion kind of mystery with the parasite. And it also plays into the bigger narrative that the show is sort of slowly feeding out for us here. In this episode, we really think that Mr. Jones is a one-note villain and that we're never going to see him again, but that's not the case. We're going to see him pop up at key, important, critical moments in the Fringe timeline. I love how he comports himself in this episode. First of all, he's in a prison in Russia that for some reason doesn't do extradition with the U.S. When Olivia goes over there to see him, the warden is very fakakta and won't let him and and you know he has a problem with visitors and he and Olivia can only see this guy for 14 minutes and within those 14 minutes Olivia does something very odd this episode having a ticking clock the way it does i didn't feel the sense of urgency on Olivia's part when she first started talking to Mr. Jones I felt that she was more concerned about the bigger mystery. And what that was, rather than saving this clean FBI agent from, from the outset. So what did you think about that, about Olivia's way of questioning Mr. Jones and not her sort of pressing the, the thing at hand that she was there to, to stop in the first place? I think it was a combination of... I wonder how much of that happened because as she was walking in, they were like, stall, stall. Like the technology does not work. Peter can't interpret shit. So I, I, part of me thinks that it was mostly, she didn't get to the meat of the situation and was just kind of feeling this guy out. Partly just because when you're in a room with a Hannibal Lecter type, you want to know what you're dealing with. And I think that she is trying to get used to his rhythms and try and figure out what his motivations might be. And because the tech wasn't working and Astrid and everybody's just screaming like stall, like we can't get the answer yet. Um, I think that was part of it. And it is funny that, yeah, at the time in 2008, I probably didn't expect this character of Jones to be like a runner. But now you're like, well, they got, they got Harrison here. Like we didn't bring this guy in from mad men and all this shit for nothing. We, we got a heavy hitter. This guy's going to be making a run, which is also the same as after the agent collapses and we're introduced to his wife, Samantha, 
who's played by Trini Alvarado, who was the co-star with Michael J. Fox in one of my favorite movies, The Frighteners. And so I'm like, okay, this is not like a lady who's just going to be in two minutes of an episode because we we freaking got her from New Zealand to come and do this show because she's hanging out, you know, doing Peter Jackson movies. So if we got her, this is going to be a character that has more to do. So immediately I'm suspicious of her. And she is the one who gives them the papers that ends up leading them to ZFT and they crack a cipher to figure out those letters, which, you know, I mentioned the cipher that fringe gives us every week. So I thought it was interesting that they're mentioning ciphers and DNA sequences and all this stuff. And as they crack it, it kind of, if you're watching it and you don't, you, you don't spot faces. So you don't immediately go like this person is not a one episode actor. This person's an arc person. Then you might be surprised by the time we get to the end and we find out that the husband and wife were working together to make all of this happen, to get this information. But if you're a super savvy viewer and you're like, she gave them the information to ZFT. Okay. Something is up. And then even that meeting with Jones where he's like, Ask yourself why you're here. Is it just for this piece of information or did someone else orchestrate this whole meeting? And if they did, why? And so I'm watching him say that and I'm screaming, it's gotta be the chick from the Frighteners. And uh, so then, of course, in the last minute where she leans in and whispers to her husband and it is the chick from the Frighteners working with her husband because they needed to find out this information I'm like, okay, Fringe, I see you. Like, this is this is classic. I love it, even though I was ahead of it. But I think that setting up this, they set up so much stuff in this because now we've got this new threat because we aren't sure who this husband and wife are working for and why they needed this information of Little Hill. Jones himself is such a weird, shadowy character that our wheels are spinning, wondering what's going to go on there. And also we introduce when Olivia goes, we introduce Billy Burke fresh off a twilight as this kind of like other agent that she definitely has a history with who there is some romantic tension there. And so we're meeting this guy, Lucas, and we're like, okay, Like how many people are going to romance Olivia because we got John Scott, who's, you know, the first scene of the show is them in bed together. We got Peter and Olivia who have such a great dynamic that obviously all the fans are shipping it. And then we throw in Billy Burke and I'm supposed to get behind him wanting her to stay the night. Get the fuck out of here, Billy Burke. I don't need you. So I feel like they, they really were starting to widen the gap, but I love that just something small as, We can tell that this is an old flame of hers and he's happy to see her. So it's not like they had like terrible terms. Meeting people who have established connections to our characters broadens the world and makes everybody feel more real, like fully fleshed characters. So I do like that as we are still weaving in and out. And then, of course, the exciting part of the episode is all of the Peter action. What did you think when... Peter is tasked with making sure they don't murder Joseph Smith and he's driving through town. And I'm like, this guy's getting killed for sure. But also I thought, how bad is the SWAT team in fringe that we know that they're going to murder this guy. And so he's got to run and say like, please don't murder. I was really surprised that Peter 
didn't call the FBI switchboard and ask for an emergency cut into Broyles' comms because a couple episodes ago, we know that the FBI made him a civilian consultant. So the FBI would know who he is. So all he would have had to do is call the FBI switchboard, have them immediately connect him to Broyles on the scene, and, you know, perhaps the dumbass SWAT team wouldn't have shot the one guy that they need to talk to Mr. Jones. But with that being said, the act of uh, Peter having to run there and once he gets there, the act of them being so dumb and stupid to actually shoot the guy in the head, that that was just for effect and that was just for, you know, to, to heighten up the drama. When we meet other characters who have deeper connections to our main characters, that does make the world bigger, but that does also the the one the the one thing that it does that's even be, that's even bigger than that. It shows us that these characters existed before the show. So it shows us that these characters aren't just archetypes; that they are that they are lived in characters, that they have backstory, that they have pillars of history that we may never figure out. So I really, really um, enjoyed that. I personally um, am not such of a big fan of the guy who Olivia hams up. Early on, I really wasn't shipping Olivia and Peter yet. But it wasn't until later episodes where they really got into some deep shit that I started to like them as a potential couple. And I really like the fact that once they got them together, they really worked on connecting them. They, they really worked on connecting their characters back to when they were children. Um, because we because we do find out that Walter has a deeper connection with Olivia that he's not necessarily saying or that he's not necessarily aware of. And I kind of like the fact that Olivia is shown to be this sexual person in this episode because she did have the relationship with John Scott that was that was well played out in the pilot but other than that she has been a, you know uh she has been strictly business so it was nice to see Olivia put her hair down and enjoy herself quite a bit the last thing that i really liked about this episode is i mentioned that Olivia Dunham is my favorite um, bad robot character ever. And in this episode, I, I found a perfect example as to why. When she comes back from Russia, her and Broyles have a conversation. And Olivia's inability to accept the situation that they couldn't get the person who was behind this problem, behind bars, or they, they couldn't really solve the case in the way that she wanted really displays to me that she really cares about her job and she has a really strong sense of pride about how she does her job. And I really like that, that never say die mentality. And I really like that. I want to win at all costs and I want to get the people that I'm chasing. And I love what Broyles says at the end of the conversation. He says, you know why the one of the one of the main reasons why I like working with you so much 
is because you have that never quit sort of mindset. You have that never say die mentality to your work. And that's why I find working with you so wonderful and so pleasurable. So that really, that scene really summed up to me why it is I love Olivia Dunham so much. Yeah, it's a great scene because she has been through so much. And as you said, it is fine that she gets to have a night of passion or whatever, because the last episode ended with revisiting her trauma and putting her on edge. So for her to unwind for a bit while she's on a vacation, go for it. But that moment and Broyles looks like he's been through the ringer at that point, because this was a friend of his who they were trying to save. And yeah, he says like, go home, have a bath, relax, take your mind off of it. And she's like, I can't do that. And you know, I can't do that. And then he's like, and that's why you're special. And I just love like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. That is why. And that kind of moment is what outside of all the mystery and the cool stuff that this sets up, those human moments buried within are some of the highlights. The other highlight for me in this episode, a hundred percent is Walter who gets some super Walter moments. I love that at the top of the episode, Broyles is like, Dr. Bishop, what you're about to see in here. Like, I can't even explain how serious, like you ain't seen shit like this before. But I really hope you can help because this guy isn't just a colleague. He's a dear friend. I see. Do you have any mints? Brushes past this and he's just doing his own Walter thing. Later, it's implied that he ran this brain scheme thing on Jimmy Hoffa for the government. And he screwed it up and fried Jimmy Hoffa's brain. And Peter is just like, are you kidding me? Like, what is this? And... I also love there's a moment where Walter goes, Peter does something good and they have like success. And he's like, oh, excellent work. You found your true calling working with me. And Peter just goes, I certainly hope not. Like, please don't let that be my lot in life. I can't handle it. And so I love that. And just also after Peter brings in the body and Walter sees that it's been shot in the head and he's like, he's been shot in the head. And Peter's like, and? And he's like, well, I would call that pretty significant brain trauma. And he, Peter goes, yeah, well, I told you he was dead and that didn't seem to be a problem. So I just love the exchanges that the two of them have where like this father and son bickering and things that Walter finds vastly important. Most people don't and then vice versa. So I just loved that. And seeing Walter have to really get into it to get Peter to be able to tap into the brain of Smith who got gunned down was really fun and interesting. And that ticking clock element makes it tense. And so there is a lot of comic relief as we're ramping up that tension. And the experiment does work enough for them to get the information. And again, it's almost in a cipher form because when they get it, they have to realize that these parallel lines actually just were not seeing the horizontal lines and they've got to figure out what the word is. And they do it in the nick of time. So I loved that this is bringing in all of those fun, fringy elements and the codes and all this stuff. And the cipher for this episode is codes because we break like a million codes in it. And it's just all of that stuff 
this you can tell this is a JJ episode because this is like a flex. This is like, okay, this is November sweeps. We're going to have a great time. Super entertaining dialogue. Awesome, intriguing characters and so much mystery shit that your head is going to be spinning for 12 more episodes at least. So in terms of this week, this was the episode that I was like, fuck yeah. And even I would say probably other than like the pilot, this is probably my favorite episode that we've watched so far just because it's a ton of fun and it's got those intense moments. The only that Billy Burke romance is my least favorite part, but it's forgivable in an episode that gives us so much other great stuff. Yeah. You mentioned uh, earlier on and in, in, in our discussion about this episode that um, we've, we've been dancing around the big question, like what is the pattern, right? We, we, that, that's been, that's come up multiple times. And I really like how, JJ and Jeff Pinkner really defined that by introducing this group. And I thought that this group was going to be the big bad of the entire series, but Oh my God, was I wrong? (laughs) We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that way later, but I really like how they set something up and they give us something that we think is the answer to everything, but it's the answer to nothing. I loved that scene when Walter needed, well, I mean, we, you've touched on it a little bit. I love that scene where Walter d- needs a brain to, to, to connect with the dead body in the, in the, in the ice tank. And he chooses Peter and he injects him with LSD. <laughs> and Peter just goes, daddy. And I'm like, Walter, Walter must be loving this because the, because that that is also a callback to the pilot because he injected Olivia with LSD before he put her in the tank. So I just love the wacky setups, the, the wacky science fiction setups that are being displayed here on Fringe this early in the show. And it's, and it, and it's only going to get better from here. And I do love that he didn't have to cook up a new batch of LSD. He went and he grabbed it out of, it was near the cow in like a cup somewhere in a syringe. And he just went and he, he grabbed it. He's like, oh, I, I still maybe have this kicking around. So I thought that was awesome. On that note, guys, I think that'll do it for this edition of Radio 815. Listen, if you guys like anything that we do here and you want to reach out to us, uh, with comments, suggestions, or tell us how awesome we are. There are a couple of ways to do that. First, you can just uh, reach us. You can just reach out to us on Twitter by using the hashtag radio eight one five, or you can reach out to us on our personal Twitter. It's JJ universe eight one five. Or if you want to catch up on old episodes of our show, we do have a brand new YouTube channel that is updated every Monday. It is youtube.com slash Radio 815. So you have all types of ways to reach out to us and talk to us if you'd like. If you want to talk to me personally, I'm on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks at home want to talk to you about anything, what would be the best place for them to do that? On Twitter, at Matt Crandall. All right, guys. So until next week, as I say often, we'll talk back soon. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.